When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Welcome to Sports Day. Nice to have your company. One double three eight eighty two is our number. So much news bubbling around. We're going to get straight into it. Uh, what did you think, Freo fans and Melbourne fans? Gee, what a wasted opportunity that was from Melbourne in the game that we broadcast here on eight eighty two six PR. It means that Geelong and Brisbane face off on Friday night at the MCG, and Sydney and Collingwood will play on Saturday afternoon. You'll hear it live here on six PR. Skeet and I'll be calling all of the action from the SCG. One double three eight eighty two. News headlines thanks to Polaris, Australia's number one selling side by side brand, and there's a fair bit of that going around. Skeet, how are you, mate? Good day, Carl. Great to be with you. And uh, yes, we were having a discussion off air just a few minutes ago, and uh, it just took you a moment to realise we are on the cusp of the grand final. It's it's got here so quickly, and we've got prelim finals this weekend, the GF next week, and what we've learned from last weekend, apart from the Dockers' inability to hit the ground running, not for the first time in the last three matches. They've been almost like uh, bunnies in the headlights when it comes to uh, getting some productivity with their scoring. What we also found out is that um, Melbourne, winning back-to-back flags is the hardest thing in footy, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we saw Brisbane win three in a row, and we've seen clubs being able to do it intermittently. But back-to-back, it is the hardest thing in footy because all year, Melbourne has been the hunted They've been the team that everyone wants to beat, and suddenly they're gone. They're out of it, despite looking invincible through the first, what, 10, 11 rounds. Yeah, well, look, I uh, wrote my article around uh, that particular topic on the weekend in the Sunday Times, and when you actually reflect back, I mean, Adelaide were able to do it, uh, go back-to-back, of course, uh, and they were the first team to actually win a premiership from outside uh, the top four. Uh, obviously, the way that the finals are now contested have changed since 2000, so it's it's very different with those couple of qualifying finals. So first used to play eighth and so on and so forth. Now, you have the elimination files to kick it off, so it's a little bit uh, different structure. But to consider that Brisbane and Hawthorne are the only two clubs that have actually been able to win three premierships in a row through uh, the time of the national competition, and there's only four clubs that have been able to go back-to-back and win premierships, um, and the Hawks are the only club that have been able to achieve it twice, but it's 23 years apart. So it's not easy to do. And, you know, when you think back, though, with Melbourne, the the the, the rut started when Frio beat them, and then, of course, that was the game where Stevie May got knocked out. That was also the next week when he went out, and he started picking on a few blokes that didn't play in the grand final. He got whacked by one of his teammates, and then the Melbourne Football Club lost three in a row at that point. And that's where their season started to be a little bit derailed. And then from there, they were up and down a bit. 
And then the last four games at the end of the season, they got themselves back on track. They beat some well-credentialed opponents, including Brisbane. They then come out and beat Brisbane again in the final. In fact, they smashed them in that last game. And then to come back and deliver up what they delivered on the weekend. I mean, the start looked like that they were going to career away, but unfortunately, they just didn't put the score on the board. And we've seen that a lot, I reckon, over the course of the weekend, Scoot. I saw it in the game that uh, you were calling yesterday in the WAFL as well with South Fremantle. I mean, South Fremantle should have pretty much put the game to bed early against Peel Thunder, but they didn't. They couldn't kick straight. Four goals, 10, could have been 7-7, seven, seven, and it might well be a very different story. South Fremantle might still be alive in the waffle too. Yeah, but big games are littered with those stories, Carl. You go back to uh, July against Hawthorne and the famous flag uh, that, that Hawthorne won um, and it's 60 inside 50 so Cam Mooney misses one from five metres out just before half time then we saw St Kilda uh, very wet and cold game against Geelong where they butchered their small forwards Milne and Schneider had chances Footy's like that. You, if you don't take Western your chances Bulldogs absolutely. against Frio yeah, yeah it, it, well it, it, it's not just this season it's, it's very much a constant if you don't take your chances and Melbourne they just couldn't score a goal when it counted after halftime. Now, I've got a little bit of news that uh, I'm going to roll at you, Skeet. Uh, hot topic, thanks to the Donut Butchering Company, taste of the Donut Valley Spring Lamb. So much to talk about, uh, whether it's the fast to the end of the Italian Grand Prix, the supercars where Van Kisbergen dominated again on the weekend. We saw Storm Sanders and John Pierce create some history, the first time in 21 years that we've won the mixed doubles, and Aaron Finch retired. Some would say not soon enough, One double three eight eighty two. News that I've got, um, look, there's likely not to be a decision on uh, Frio's players until the end of the week. I believe that uh, a small posse of the Fremantle hierarchy returned today. Uh, the players have still been um, farewelling their season. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it on the East Coast, enjoying each other's company for a few more days. Uh, but they have not yet, my understanding, returned to Perth. As to whether as as to whether some of them will continue, we'll find out about Acres, Lob, Logue, uh, and Meek. I believe that uh, Meek will uh, seek through his management, uh, Phoenix management, a trade. Uh, most uh, likely to a club in Melbourne is uh, what I'm told. He still has one year to run on his contract. Uh, the Freo Dockers are exploring the opportunity of a couple of blokes from the Gold Coast, Jeremy Sharp, who, of course, is a West Australian, uh, 21 years of age, and Josh Corbett, a bloke that played some pretty good footy up forward. He's a bit of a swing man, can play key position forward back. He's about 190 centimetres, but a little bit more mature at 26 years of age. Um, And, of course, the other uh, big name that has been uh, rumoured as being offered a long-term deal that hopefully we'll know more about by the end of the week. And, look, a few of these other dominoes would have to fall, I think, alongside, but uh, is the is the, is the the Jackson story where a lot of saying, oh, well, he's not worth uh, as much as what the Fremantle Dockers uh, are offering him. Some names there, aren't there? And it's interesting. It's a young group, and to hear that that many players are looking to get out, and, and Liam Henry's been talked about as a possible uh, departure as well to get opportunities. It just seems strange that they're a club on the up. They look like, they sound like a happy uh, camp. And so that just, I guess, begs the question of uh, are the modern players very much driven by the financial. In Meek's case, it's opportunity, but yeah, a mixture of both. And that sometimes is the overriding factor because the loyalty to clubs, and I, I sort of get it now, but, but some others may not be all that happy with how that rolls out. And Darcy Tucker, I believe, is on his way to North Melbourne as well. So there's another one to throw into the mix there. But, look, if you're not in the top 10 paid, and, and look, most clubs, I reckon, top, top 10 players are probably earning a, a majority of the salary cap. Anyway, let's go to uh, the calls, because Sean in Beldivis wants to join in. G'day, Sean. 
Yeah, g'day fellas. Yeah, my um oh, before the deagle what do you want to say? Um I just get annoyed. Like Taranto and Hopper have both said, Oh yeah, we want to go to Richmond which is all well and good, but why do the players have so much power what's going on? Like surely they can say, I'm gonna to go to Victoria and then it's up to that and then DWS gets the best deal one has gone on pretty much since Chris Garden. But why is it they've got so much power they can dictate which club and then after that you pretty much have to do what they say? Interesting, Sean, you mentioned Chris Judd because I was about to say he became almost the, the template for how players, particularly big-name players, determine where they land. And, of course, Chris famously, well, certainly the story goes, that he essentially interviewed the clubs, whether it was mm. Carlton, whether it was Collingwood, whether it was Essendon. He interviewed them as opposed to the other way around. So that just that was the start of, I guess, what we see now where players, and I tend to agree with you, Sean, in some cases, uh, if they want to go from Perth to Melbourne, that's fine, but make sure that the club that you're leaving has a win or certainly doesn't lose out of the trade where you're intending to go? Well, is it also to do like the players' union or something? Because in the NBA, I know American sport's different. I still say we've got a preferred team I want to go to, um, and it might be the Knicks, it might be the Lakers. You know, at the end of the day, they lose two or three teams, but the team still does the best by themselves as well. We don't do that. We do the best by the player, and that is why we do that. Yeah, look, with the AFL, Sean, the the players have been seeking to actually have more freedom of movement, and they've been gravitating uh, to, to more of that, and that may well be a key part of the new collective bargaining agreement, which is currently being negotiated with the AFL Players Association and the AFL. Um, because at the moment, you've got a obviously a situation where you've got to serve a fair bit of time before you get a chance as a, say, unrestricted free agent to go and explore opportunities within the competition. The loyalty factor has long gone out the window for mine. Um, I have been saying for most of this season that I expect this season to be a record when it comes to the number of players that are traded and those more mature players that want to swap clubs. I I think that without doubt, I think the competition is getting more used to that. I think that uh, clubs are getting better at it too. I think sometimes the deals that can be done with the point system that exists, that it gets, and it still is made, I think a little bit more complicated than what it has to be. But uh, in the end, I mean, we've just spoken about some of the names here, but you know, you've got Dunkley and you've got Tanner Bruin. He's another guy, early draft pick. I think it was a pick five for the Greater Western Sydney Giants on the top of Taranto and Hopper, if they all leave GWS, I mean, they're going to be massive losses for that club. Yeah, they'll have a, a handy draft bounty, won't they, the the Giants? But then I guess you've got to start all over again. So, yeah, it is interesting. And the, the player movement is something that's not changing. Where Are we becoming more mature? Because we see in, in the rugby codes and, and certainly soccer that uh, it is very much just part and parcel, the transfer windows, as they call it, and, and players nominating and telling you, uh, Carl Langdon's going to play next year at North Melbourne in, in March of 2022 for 2023. So that has happened. What we see in the AFL, though, Carl, is we see someone like Luke Jackson, after the fairest and best for Melbourne, will come out and say, well, my intention is to go home and play with Fremantle, for instance. So haven't quite reached that stage, but you're right, there is a lot of turnover happening. Donnie's in Spearwood. Hi, Donnie. Good evening, boys. I've got a few things. I've got a few things. Mark, you know, you know when you say good... You can interview him, employer. <laughs> That's what Jaddy did. That's what Jaddy did. I listen. There's a few points. All you fellas out there, if you want to go to the grand final, there's a lot of uh, 
cheap airfares and the grand final tickets from DOCA supporters. Second point, message to DOCAs, just remember next year, your team is going to play top six teams twice. You're not going to have as easy run as you had this year. Am I right? Am I wrong? True. Mm-hmm. What that's, that's what happens. So they'll have a harder draw. And thirdly, my understanding was they're going to spend three weeks over there. So they put all eggs in one basket before the game. Now, Mark and Carl, can you tell me why so many people in this state, the media, picked the Dockers to beat Collingwood on the, on the wood bases? I don't get it. Well, well we Carl didn't. and I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to us, Donnie, we didn't. Um, I well, the 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 basis was is because they had broken some unique ground in this season. They were able to go to the MCG and beat the running premiers, and that being the Melbourne Football Club, and they were able to go to Geelong and beat Geelong in Geelong. Now they're pretty they're they're pretty good feats, and I think that most people had Melbourne beating. At Brisbane, I certainly did, yep. and Skeet did as well. Uh, and that didn't work out, and, ma- and that was mainly Melbourne's fault. I mean, what was Jake Lever doing? Like, how do you start watching yourself on the television instead of actually giving the ball back to the bloke that had actually tackled you legally to win a free kick? Mate, that is a massive brain Yeah, fade. they're already seven points down. So they, that's fine. the game was just about done. So, but you're right, I think Brisbane deserves a fair bit of credit on that front. Um, as for Fremantle, let, let's be honest, and when it comes to selecting Collingwood, they've now won 14 of their past 15 games. So they have been in the back half of the season alongside Collingwood and Sydney, Sydney yep. the best teams in the competition. So uh, I... Look, I was fearful that Fremantle would start very slowly, as they did, as they did against the Bulldogs, as they did against the Giants, and unfortunately, that proved correct. But interesting, Donnie, being an Eagles supporter, um, and they've had, let's be honest, a fairly modest year. He's able to throw a couple of uh, barbs at Dockers fans, but that's all, yeah. And, all and fair let's face it, unless you're Barry for Collingwood, you don't really want them to win. No, so, but uh, I actually, I actually have enjoyed watching them play footy. They're yeah. enjoyable to watch, and I would love them to get to the grand final, Carl, against say Geelong, and then guess what? Lose. Yeah. Their, their coach is a good bloke. Yeah, he And is. Uh, he, he's always made himself available to us. So we better be nice to him. Otherwise, we might get to talk to him again. It's 20 after 6. Wonderful 3 out of two. We'd love to talk to you. Join in. Uh, what's hot for you? Thanks to the Dardanelle Butchering Company's Valley Spring Lamb, available at WA's best restaurants, hotels, and cafes. More of your calls after this. Sports Day. The all-new Kia Nero, Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Welcome back to Sports Day. One double three eight eighty two is our number, and the all new Kia Nero available in hybrid and all electric. Uh, you can see more at kia.com.au. Bring us uh, this program. Uh, Perth Glory women's uh, team have added American forward Gabriella Coleman. The Aussie girls got it done in the Rugby World Cup on the weekend. They defeated uh, New Zealand in the final there in South Africa. So that follows on on the gold that they won at the Commonwealth Games. Twenty four twenty two. It was in the final. The Aussie blokes finished in fourth place. The NBL Blitz kicks off on Saturday. The Wildcats won both their warm-up games over Adelaide on the weekend. And there's plenty of other news as well. Out of the NRL, um, South Sydney beating the Roosters. Penrith over Parramatta. The upset, though, came with Canberra defeating Melbourne 28-20 there. And North Queensland got it done just over Cronulla on the weekend. That was an epic uh, extra time affair between the Cowboys and the Sharks. So the NRL season rolls on. And, yes, Penrith, I think their performance against Parramatta suggests 
suggesting they are still the team. To be, I mentioned back-to-back premierships. Well, they are beautifully placed to to do just that in the NRL. And Daniel Ricciardo can't keep himself out of the news when it comes to Formula One Grand Prix racing, can he? Uh, the race finished under a safety car and the boos from the fans. It was an absolute cataclysmic finish, to be perfectly honest. Ricciardo breaks down his McLaren on the side of the track. Instead of red flagging, which allows the race to continue, the uh, race stewards decided to deploy the yellow safety car and in the end, they rolled across the finish line behind a yellow safety car. It is not the way you want to see a Formula One Grand Prix end. No, not the way you want to see uh, an Australian one-day career end as well, with Aaron Finch uh, scoring five in his last match for Australia. One double three eight eighty two. by the way. I'd like to know, would you, as a cricket fan, be happy to see David Warner uh, be allowed back into a leadership role? Do you think Steve Smith, albeit both were involved in the South Africa scandal, would you be comfortable if he took over the job, or do you think there's another name in there heading Go forward? Go a younger bloke. Th- those two are just about finished as well, I reckon. But it's a, it's a short term until the next, you know, next twelve months, I guess. But who is the next incumbent possible leader? Well, I think Kerry's the bloke. I mean, he's got the gloves. He's doing a great job. He's making runs. He's been better than most in this little series. Anyway, a good good talking point. One double three out of two. Let's go to Pete Nedlands. Hello, Pete. Hi, when you look at the final series, everyone's been raving about how good it is, and it is. But the most noticeable thing from a non-biased supporter, the quality of the umpiring is the thing that's made a great deal of difference to the standard of play. They're playing the free kick early when there's a tackle. The players know how to adjust to it, and I think that's been a major, major factor. That's one of the things about the finals. The next one is... At long last, they're starting to use what I call the underground handball or the end-over-end handball, which to my making is a far superior. And now the players are handballing over the top of their immediate opponent. And by using that type of handball, if you miss it, it runs on and you can run onto the ball. And I think that's the handball of the back to the future, using that style of handball in the finals particularly. Yeah, the pressure, Peter, I guess, demands that you find ways to get the ball from a bit like Richmond has done famously for their premierships, just surging the ball forward. Carl, as a player, and it might test your memory, but do you recall in finals the umpiring was more able to give players either uh, more opportunities, they were hotter, they were, it was a, 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 essentially let the game flow a bit more than during the home and away season. Do you see that even now or not? No. Don't see any difference in the no. way that's umpired? Every, everyone says it. It doesn't happen. If a free kick's there, you've got to pay the free kick. Everyone says, oh, just let it go, let it go. Did umpires let it go? No, they don't. I mean, I'm interested in, in why Pete saw it that way because, I mean, it depends. But he's complimenting the umpiring in the finals. Yeah, yeah, but it hasn't been any different to any other game. I mean, there's still errors that have but, been but made. But what, what, what we do have is the best umpires now, deemed the best umpires for the year, are officiating the biggest games of the year. So that perhaps is what he's saying is that yeah, the quality umpire, and you're going to have a ranking system. That's why that's some right. umpires but, miss but out. But there were still errors made over the weekend. There always I, I be. mean, I, I did I did uh, the game on on Friday, and then I sat back uh, with a couple of mates and watched the game on Saturday. And don't worry, there was a couple of times where there was, you know, what, what you would call the same mistakes that are made. I mean, in the end, umpires are human. It's the same as the players are making mistakes. And um, there's always going to be once – whilst you've still got that human element. Unfortunately, the umpires don't get to see uh, through a whole heap of bodies. There is still a lot of bodies around the footy, and, you know, that's why they're talking about introducing another umpire, a fourth umpire, as soon as next season to help that sort of scenario. Let me ask you this one. It's a hot topic for this week. 
Certainly uh, for the Dardner Butchering Company's Valley Spring Lamb, available at WA's best restaurants, hotels and cafes. Will Jared Berry get off at the tribunal? Nope, he won't. He won't. Why? Well, well, they've got to they've got to argue the uh, the the unreasonable and unnecessary, which is what they've deemed it to be, which is intentional. So if it's unreasonable, was it unreasonable and unnecessary what he did to the face of Clayton Oliver? And and in my view, it was. So is it then intentional? Was it intentional or was oh, it, ca- was it careless? That. I think you could argue the careless side of it. So, so therefore, that's the only way because it was definitely low impact and it was definitely high contact. So he's he, he's low impact because he played on and it was high contact because he made contact to his face. Uh, there's no doubt he makes contact. So the only way they can argue it down is from intentional to careless. Do I think it was intentional? I do, yeah. And if I'm a tribunal, I'm thinking, mate, he didn't need to do it. Yeah, it was well, a stupid thing to do. Well, I just find it funny that someone like Paddy Cripps, who leaves the ground, knocks a bloke out, uh, doesn't get any time at all. The bloke he's knocked out, Callum Archie, couldn't play footy for two. He was poleaxed, and I know they're chalk and cheese, apples and oranges, but I... He was I, contesting the ball. No, he, well, he might have been contesting. He left the ground. And he took his eye off the but ball. But he didn't. He didn't. So he didn't leave the ground. He his left the intention ground. when he left the yeah, but his intention when he that, left the ground was not to bump. Doesn't matter the intention. If you well, leave I think the ground, it, does. it doesn't because it well. So the, the accident so, still so, happened. Well, the the only reason he got off is because the AFL advocate said that it was a bump. It was wasn't it? a bump. It ended up being a collision in the air, but but he when he left the ground, he had no intention to bump. His his first, and this is why they failed to have him as essentially charged, and, and that charge be upheld is because it wasn't classified as they said in their own words as a bump. So that's why in the end they lost. But I think they're wrong anyway. I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, well, we, we 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 beg to differ. But Jared yeah. Berry, I. Gee whiz, I'll tell you what, if a player's doing that to me uh, and I'm reaching up trying to push him away and the hands, I think there is grounds there to go to the tribunal. Now, whether they get that result remains to be seen, but this is a preliminary final. We've seen blokes like Barry Hall get off extraordinarily uh, to play in a grand final. We've seen Gary Ablett Sr. get off when he should have been perhaps suspended going back over the years in a prelim final. So it's a final. It's going to be a fascinating tribunal case. Yeah, uh, will be. That's if they choose to go there. Uh, and. There are- they're challenging. They, they've, they've actually challenged it, have they? No. Oh, well, I missed, must have missed that bit of news. Uh, so if they are going to go to the tribunal tomorrow night, then good luck to them, and we'll see. Uh, it's 28 minutes to 7. One double three eight eighty two is the number. If you would like to join in, anything that uh, you would like to talk about, we'll get into some more news headlines thanks to Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand 21 years in a row. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot, gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. So, Jared Berry, uh, the challenge will come from the Brisbane Lions. Uh, I still haven't got any official notification from the AFL, but uh, just uh, having a look at uh, the AFL website, it was indicated that Brisbane would challenge it. So, assuming that takes place, uh, Skeet, uh, what do you think will happen with 
Big Joe Danaher, who was late withdrawal because uh, he wanted to be home alongside his partner for the birth of their first child. Does he just walk straight back into that team on the weekend's performance, or do you think that there would be some consideration to leave him out and go with what they did on the weekend? That's assuming that Berry is available, and if Berry's not available, does Danaher come back in at the expense of him? Yeah, well, the problem is if, if Danaher comes back in, McInerney returns to the side, how... How tall, how cumbersome, I'm not saying that Danaher's a log, or anything, but he, he's, you know, the, the height that they have may not be exactly what they need against Geelong. I mean, McInerney in the ruck is important. That's a given. But what, yeah, but Darcy Fort has to be stiff. I mean, mate, he played a, a huge game. He, he, you still have to play your best ruckman. If that's, but I, just, I don't disagree. Well, he matched it with Gorn. He kicked a goal. He was super. Yeah, I still think that McInerney comes back in. I think you agree that if one selection is made, McInerney will be named if he's fit. That's how Brisbane, I think, will roll. With Joe Dano, look, he kicked three in that final against Richmond. He can be a bit flaky. He can be a bit frustrating. But I still think they'll find a way to get him in there because he is a, a genuine X-Factor player. Mm, um, it's a good good mm. uh, uh, headache to have, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I'd be intrigued to see on the back of what Eric Hipwood's been able to do in the last couple of weeks. I mean, he kicked four on the weekend which and had 17 disposals, which is his by far and away best uh, number of possessions he's had this season, equal most goals he's had for the season. And last week he kicked three as well in uh, the game against uh, the, the Richmond Tigers. So he's been super important, and he's come good at the right time, given that it took him a little while to get back after being out for a long period of time. And what we've seen with power forwards at clubs that have been successful this year, Hawkins, Cameron, Richmond, Revolt, Lynch, there's a a real synergy, even going back to the Kennedy-Darling situation at at West Coast, and Brisbane wouldn't say they're they're brutes by any mean, Danaher and Hipwood, but they are talents, and they can stretch defences with their agility and their ability, and that's what I think they're going to try and do on, on Friday night against the Cats. Uh, with uh, Donnie having a crack at uh, Fremantle and their, them having a tougher draw next year, well, against the top eight teams, there were four wins, a draw, and three losses against uh, the top eight teams this year. So that's a pretty good record. It is a good record, but it, it's right. It does get, doesn't get easier the higher up the ladder you go when it comes to, to the draw for, for the following season. And as we've touched on already with the possibility of some departures, some of those players, I mean, Blake Akers. Now, I'm interested to hear Matthew Pavlich wasn't overly uh, – wasn't overly uh, – Well, if you're not in your top ten, let him go. But I think you'll be in the – well, he wasn't overly convincing in, in what he said about Akers as a player. Now, I think you'll finish top ten in the Doig medal this year. You don't think you'll finish top ten? He was almost all Australian in the middle part of the year. Mm, He'll go Akers? close. Yeah, Akers had a very good year. Yeah, he had a good year. Oh, yeah, I, I think that, well, what have you got? You've got Mundy will finish ahead of him. Uh, Sarong will finish ahead of him. Well, Brayshaw, Brayshaw will finish Darcy. ahead of him. Cox, Cox will finish ahead of him. Pierce, uh, Ryan will finish ahead of him. Chapman, and and uh, well, he missed a few games. Young will finish ahead. So all of a sudden, he's probably not finishing inside the top 10. Yeah, I think he does in the in the doing medal. But anyway, I think he's had a really good year. So that's surprising that, that Pav doesn't rate him or says, he, you know, move him on. But that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll know, as I said, on Friday as to whether Loblog, uh, Akers, uh, Tucker... Uh, and and Meek, I mean Meek's the one that is of is of the most interest to me because he's a a really good young developing player who has played some really good footy and now has a lot of clubs who who are after him. So it's whether 
he requests a trade because he still has one year to go on his contract. So it's whether he requests a trade. We've, you've got Darcy Tucker, um, who he can basically just walk uh, to North Melbourne. Um, and with these other players, well, um, Lob, Lo, Logan Akers are out of contract. Lob's the only one who actually has a contract. And, you know, obviously he wants to, to head across to Melbourne. His partner wants to be there. So I'm sure that the Freo Dockers have already explored a deal to get Jackson in if uh, that's all going to work out. Yeah. And by the way, Blake Akers has uh, collected career highs in all categories bar goals this season. Thanks to Heater for, for chasing that up. Uh, well, that Lo- wouldn't have been hard because he hadn't had a, no. such a, you know. A, no. Well, okay, but he's he still had a good season. I mean, you you're getting stuck into him for for what I thought. No, was not gonna... getting stuck into him. I, I'm, no, I'm actually, just making... Pavos, to be honest, with you. not you. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's fair enough. No, but Logue, I mean, I think as much as anything, he's a he's a solid defender, but they're well they're well resourced in that department. He's been playing forward, right? He's not, but he's not a forward. He's he's just not a forward. Why not? We well, can't take a mark. He can't kick a goal. He just doesn't. He's not product. He's a good defensive. The pressure's there, mate. He's he's. He's not going to be a 30, 40 goal kicker for you. There's just, it's just not going to happen with him, I don't think. That's being honest. But it does, doesn't mean he hasn't played an important role for Fremantle in attack. But is he looking for more money? Is he looking for more security? That might be the issue. I, I think he loves Frio. Yeah, but I, I, but I think, But I think they give him a low ball offer. And I think that when you've got a low ball offer, I mean, Blake Akers is leaving Fremantle so that he can just stay on the same money. He's not going to a club back in Victoria to be on more money, it's just that Frio haven't offered him anywhere near what he's currently on. So he just wants to stay on the same, at least the same money, which is what I believe has been put to Frio, but Fremantle are not prepared to up the ante, which is their, their prerogative. I mean, um, they are obviously going down a different path. And and look, if they were to get someone like a Jeremy Sharp, who is a good young player, he's 21, if they can get him into the football club, and pay him around what have been offered to some of these other players, then, or maybe they've offered him a little bit more to get him back, he fits into the the, the nucleus, the core of that team that are playing right now. So, you know, I think that that's a pretty good move. As for Josh Corbett, I mean, they'd be able to get him, you know, he, he would be a perfect sort of a replacement for a for a Logue anyway. And he can have that sort of swingman ability uh, and, and he can play forward and play back. Mm. I, I think they would like to keep Logue, no question about that, for all those factors you mentioned. Uh, we know that Lob's going to go, we believe, to the Bulldogs. Uh, so they have to find some more avenues to goal. I mean, they did score more uh, proficiently this year, but in the finals, they, they really struggled at times to, to generate, didn't they? And Joy yeah, Amos but, came in, but they, yeah. they, they went inside. They just didn't look like scoring at times, did they? No, and, and look, Amos has only played his third game, right? But we know, we know, and, and you don't have to talk to his teammates, that he is one of already the very best kicks on goal in their club. He's... The same size as Josh Kennedy. He's a big man. He's still got to to grow into that body. But you wait, mate. He will be. He will be one of the key position players they're looking for. And I think that he could probably measure up and kick his forty goals as soon as next year. Um, he already, you know, he was averaging two goals a game heading into the final on the weekend. Still had it fourteen times. Still did a couple of nice things. But in the end, he just didn't hit the scoreboard as often as you'd like. Got to clear a break. On the other side, if you'd like to join in, you can one double three eight eighty two. What's hot for you? Thanks for the. Darden Butchering Company's Valley Spring Lamb available at WA's best restaurants, hotels and cafes back soon. Sports Day. The all-new Kia Nero. Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot.
Welcome back to Sports Day. Uh, what about Jordan Goey's performance on the weekend, Scoot? It was uh, pretty good. Uh, and he's out of contract too. Uh, and that's because of his <laughs> sojourn. Bobby. Uh, yes, he's fun. Uh, but surely now the contract that he might be able to negotiate is looking a hell of a lot better. I mean, he's he's sounds like he's meant, uh, mended say the, the 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 bridges and and healed a few of the wounds that he opened up with the Bali trip and on the back of that he may well have driven up his price given the finals performances he's put in so far if he can put in a couple more wow been outstanding hasn't he he was just terrific on on the weekend and when you look at his numbers and 12 score involvements 24 disposals kicked to goal it's the jordan to go that everyone knows is absolutely he's capable of producing Big numbers, effective in finals. And this Collingwood story, they bear in mind they finished 17th last year. And look, I'm no footy historian, but I do remember back in 1976, I think they won the, the wooden spoon. The next year under Tom Hafey, they went all the way to the grand final in 1977. They're only one win away from doing that. And you remember what happened in 1977 against North Melbourne, Carl, in the grand final? Mm-hmm. Do you know what happened? That No. It was a draw. It was a second draw, I think, or certainly a draw, and they had to come back for the replay the following week. Barry Cable's boys got up and North Melbourne knocked them over in the replay. But that was going back, what, 23, 45 years? They are on the cusp of doing something pretty similar if they can get across the line over Sydney this weekend. That's very good. I would have had to look that up because I was only about four at that particular <laughs> well, point. Well, hang on. I was only... Oh, no. no I was I seven. a bit older than that. I was seven. So yeah. you, you were older no, than I was me. I so... ten. <laughs> Nine. 68 I was born. Well, I was about nine, yeah. There you go. Uh, one double three out of D2. Um, looks like that, um, just having a look at a bit of the latest news, I, I did speak about Tanner Brune, and that was on the back of uh, Donnie. Was it Donnie or was it Sean? Sean said that um, Taranto and Hopper had nominated to go to Richmond. Tanner Brune sounds like that he's going to nominate Geelong, and it looks like most likely that Josh Dunkley. Now, Josh Dunkley's partner plays uh, netball. In Adelaide. In Adelaide. But it seems that... Brisbane have made a play for him. That's weird. I mean, Josh Dunkley's situation for a couple of seasons has seemed just extraordinary. He, he doesn't want to be at the Bulldogs. They convinced him to stay for whatever reason. He, he he didn't get his wish last year. He'll get his wish this time, surely. Well, you'd think he would have been just guaranteed of going to Port Adelaide, but you, you always need someone else to drive your price. So if Brisbane are playing, then all of a sudden – uh, Port might have a little bit more of a fight on their hand other than just, you know, because his partner's there, well, it but, just means that he comes. Yeah, well, I think the, the lure of his partner's probably going to win the day. Well, maybe he's looking for a new partner. We don't. <laughs> yeah, I'll, let you, I'll let you explore that, uh, Serena, not myself. But the, the Bulldogs have got a few that Jason Johannesson also apparently on the move. So I think you're right, Carl. Yeah, but he's probably of the age where he's just about cooked. Yeah, but... His but next it, deal will be irris- his last. Irrespective, the Bulldogs has just one club. Mm. Uh, we've seen GWS... The player movement, and we're already seeing it, is going to be quite hectic over the next three or four weeks. Yeah, well, I'll be interested when West Coast uh, make a few announcements because you'd suggest that they had their waffle uh, fairest and best on the weekend. Yes. You'd suggest that this week would be the last of the exit meetings, so you would probably think that towards the back end of this week we would have a little bit more of a insight into what they're looking at doing. Um, and, and likewise at Freo, I'd suggest that those two clubs will have to move fairly quickly to clear the decks and open up opportunities. No question about that. And you're right, the Eagles is, a, is an interesting one because we're all expecting a purge of some description. Waffle season over for the whole list now. So, yeah, it's, you're thinking at least 10 players, aren't you, Carl, that are going to be showing the door in some 
haven't you? Yeah, I think they have to. Uh, and and look, Nat Nui's yet to put uh, pen to paper too with the two year deal. So but- that's not confirmed two years. Not yet. Oh, okay. No, I, I don't think it's been officially um, confirmed as such. I think there's an offer there uh, yeah, that's been spoken about. Uh, yeah. I mean, that surprises me, to be perfectly honest. I, I agree. felt that, you know, one year was enough and with an option. I mean, if you want to have a two-year deal, you have an option in there. You know the funny story I heard of the weekend? Brendan Archie, who was at the West Coast Eagles, of course, started in Brisbane. I think ended up at Port Adelaide. Anyway, he had nine, had nine consecutive in the AFL system, nine consecutive one-year deals. Mm. That's talking about living on the edge. And then some of those he instigated, when he came to the Eagles, he only wanted a one-year deal. Uh, so you don't hear about that too often, but certainly I think at that stage of, of careers, India, past 30, unless you've got some real you know, athletic ability and you're doing things better than what you did at 25, you have one-year deal or, or two maximum. And, and I think Nick Nat, to get the two, I think he'd be taking that and running. Absolutely. Uh, spring... Uh... It on with top deals on everything you need in your outdoor projects at the Toolkit Depot. Uh, Bobby Peters to return home with his WA trio, Western Empire Regal Power, after they failed on the weekend. Stage man also to come home. Sean McGrady, by the way, copped a, a, an eight-day suspension for breaking the whip use rules on Red Can Man when it ran fourth on the weekend. But uh, those three, you know, very well-credentialed uh, racehorses to return back to the farm to see whether, uh, and I don't think there's been any decision made as to as to whether they will continue to try and earn some of the rich races that we have on offer in the spring, whether they then get uh, put out to the paddock and come back in the autumn. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, it'll be an, an intriguing few weeks to see whether Western Empire, Regal Power and Stage Man actually head back to the track uh, here at Belmont and into the Ascot Carnival. Yeah, the pinnacles, of course. So that's going to be fascinating to see how that pans out. Damien Oliver, we spoke to a week or so ago, uh, he might find himself with a couple of rides as well. By the way, Gab Maitland Jakovic just texted through to say, uh, and of course he was only, what, four years of age when the 77 grand final was taking place. Collingwood were up by 26 points at three-quarter time and the uh, the Collie Wobbles uh, took control in North Melbourne, drew the game, and we know Twiggy Dunn kicked a goal late. That, the style of kicking for goal back then was a little different towards it is uh, in 2022. So it's Brownlow Medal Week this week. Yeah, it's, it's, it's moved till Sunday. It's got so quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, and well, obviously with it uh, being moved because of uh, the Queen's uh, funeral, we might have uh, only an hour show on the Monday night as well, uh, depending on timing. So uh, we'll confirm that as the week unfolds. But um, yeah, we might have to get into a little bit of a, a Brownlow uh, preview at some stage on this Thursday. week. Oh, I've I've actually said that I reckon Andrew Brayshaw for a little while now wins it. Lockie Neal, moral for me. Yeah, absolute moral. Well, favourite. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. All right. We need a clearer commitment on the other side. We'll come back and tell you what's coming up after the 7 o'clock news here on 882 6PR. We'll be back soon. Sports Day. The all-new Kia Nero, Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. After the 7 o'clock news that's fast approaching, John O'Marsh is going to join us. The Eastern Mantel Sharks victorious on the weekend. We'll have a chat to Brett Phillips as we recap the US Tennis Open. Barat Sandarason to also have a chat about the upcoming cricket series and uh, out of the weekend with the Australians. 
knocking over New Zealand. They won that series 3-0. Ryan Petrick, victorious when it comes to the Rockingham Flames on the weekend. He's also our Perth Lynx coach. Their pre-season about to get underway. We'll do Kia's top seven. Tell you what happened on this day. Straight after the news, though, it's John O'Marsh from the East Fremantle Football Club here on Sports Day. Sports Day. The all-new Kia Nero, Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Welcome back to Sports Day. Great to have your company. And as we'll be doing uh, again this week, is focusing in on the WAFL as we get to the pointy end of the season. Our update, thanks to the Kia Nero, available as a hybrid and full electric model. And gee, the East Fremantle Sharks were unbelievably good on the weekend, blowing the Claremont Football Club off the park. And John O'Marsh was one of their stars, and he joins us here on Sports Day. John welcome, mate. How are you going? I'm very well, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, the good part is, mate, is that I just saw the results come through from the MRP and a reprimand. So the good part is, mate, you're free to play. <laughs> I was a little bit worried about that one. Um, but Doddy, Brad Dodd messaged me early this morning, so I actually uh, I didn't really sleep last night. I was a bit concerned, but... All good. I'm, I'm playing. I just need to uh, keep my bumps and everything a little bit uh, less physical. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't just with the players. We were watching you at close range. Uh, John Owen, are you getting some lip from the crowd as well uh, when you were taking a mark and having a shot at goal? Um, it sounded like there was uh, some banter between you and a couple of spectators. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, a, I had this question a couple of times. Like, they, the spectators can get away with saying a fair bit. To be honest, so um, if they're coming at me, then I'm going to make sure. Uh, hopefully, I kick a couple of goals and I'm coming straight back at you. So I don't think the fans of Oppo teams have worked out that I kind of like them going at me. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a motivational thing. So maybe if they kept quiet, I wouldn't have kicked a couple more. Uh, was it a bit personal? I mean, without giving away too much. Uh, yeah, I reckon. Like, if if I'm turning around and I know exactly where it's come from in the crowd, I'm like, oh, that's probably pushing the line a little bit. But uh, it's happened a couple times this year, so I actually quite find it. I find it funny trying to shut them up. So it's always a good laugh. You can never shut them up, mate. Trust me. Uh, it's yeah. uh, it's something. <laughs> as soon as you wind them up, mate, they just get worse. So uh, it's try yeah, try exactly. to ignore them, mate. Back onto the field. Um, did you see that coming, mate? Because it was a really complete performance. Um, probably not to the extent. Of the complete performance thing, I, I was a bit worried then when I was like, I, I rate Claremont. They obviously they've played finals X amount of years in a row, um, and we haven't beaten them for X amount of years in a row. So I was a bit concerned in that third quarter when they started pumping us um, and, and getting a couple of goals. But yeah, I, we did not see it coming, but we, we prep well and we, we have good belief within the club. And you know, we, we would we go into every game thinking we're going to win it. I don't think we're going into a game thinking that the Sharks footy doesn't hold up and that's what we've talked about all year and that's what we've prepped up for all year. So as much as, you know, you want to go in and, and have a nice, comfortable win, um, it was good. But, yeah, I think that how we prep, how we perform is um, just part of the process of, you know, we're, we're process-driven, not you know, outcome-driven. And, John, a good spread of goal kickers too, mate. You know, 10 in total on the weekend. I know that a couple of your kick bags of three, but uh, to get that spread is always healthy. 100%, yeah. I actually really like when there's multiple of us kicking goals because it's kind of a bit... Um, you know, it's hard to expect where the next one's coming from. I think when you can get your mids kind of running forward and kicking goals, like Scully kicked one in the last quarter, I think Baskers broke free and actually hit up a couple of forwards instead of finishing the work himself. 
it's really dangerous because I think if you can get on the opposite end of you know a midfield battle or potentially a half back, I think Finn got a Finn Gorin's got a fifty meter and keep the goal. It just keeps the opposition guessing about where the next one's coming from. I think when you've got a big key forward or a small forward that's you know dominating, it's quite easy to know where the next goal was coming from. So it's good to keep uh, it unexpected, I guess. Speaking with John O'Marsh from East Fremantle, they're through to a second semi-final against West Perth this weekend. Not many players that had finals experience, but watching the match and looking at the players from close range, they didn't seem overawed or have stage fright at any stage of that game. Yeah, I think um, if you talk to us beforehand, like we all had the jitters and and we just went back to, you know, that's okay. Like it, I think nerves are a good thing. And my granddad's always taught me if you've got nerves, it means you care. Uh, and so it obviously just beforehand, everyone was a little bit shaky in the rooms and, and um, before the game. But I think it's one of those things where you can go back to, and finals footy is simplified in a way that you go back to what you're good at. And I think that's all we did. There's some comfortability knowing that uh, I, I know what the mids and the backs are going to produce. I know what my fellow forwards are going to produce. It's actually a, a nice feeling that as much as you're saying, there's a, a massive occasion on and, and finals are a huge deal. We haven't played them in a while. You can go back to knowing, all right, let's just stick to the process because it works. Sharks footy works. Um, and that kind of actually calms you down a bit. You know, after the first five minutes, it feels kind of like another game, just albeit ramped up pressure-wise. What about being back on your home deck, mate? Do you reckon that's made a difference? That was oh, that was so good. It was awesome. Obviously, we were expecting that to be, um, you know, half demolished or demolished by now. But whatever reasons for it and fate would have had it, you know, playing our first final there in a couple, well, since we've made finals last, I think, 2014. It was pretty cool. Like, we've trained there all year. Um, so it's pretty good home advantage, I guess. But uh, I think West or Claremont maybe have actually played there just like um, with a relocation of the Leaderville games. But yeah, all, all the Sharks fans turned out and, you know, like my granddad and family are there and stuff. It's just, it's so cool playing in front of friends and family at that Oval. John, are you one win away from a grand final? You'd like to do it this weekend and have a, a week's break, but you just have to get it right once in the next two matches and you find yourself back in uh, pretty elite territory. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, once again, I, I don't think anyone from the club is actually thinking that far ahead. Um, we're going to obviously review our game this afternoon um, against Claremont, and then we're just going to go and move forward onto West Perth. And like, like I've been saying, I've said this in a lot of interviews, and, and this is internally at the club, but you keep thinking outcome base and, and you miss the steps to get you there. So, you know, we're process-driven. So we'll, we'll just review Claremont, we'll put that one away, and then we're moving on to West Perth. and. Hopefully we go out there and get the win, and then obviously you know the next challenge will be getting the buy right and, and a grand final appearance. And if not, it'll be another game. But yeah, right now all everyone's concerned about is uh, is just recovering and, and getting on to West Perth. Well, you don't have to actually look back that far uh, to look ahead to West Perth because it was only round sixteen. They gave you a bit of a touch up on their home deck, didn't they? They beat you by six goals. Yeah, yeah. We I thought. Um, that was a difficult game for us. I, I, I was away for a work thing, so I didn't actually manage to play. And that was when we were one versus two. Blaine does his knee. How much does that, you know, morale affect the boys when they see, you know, I reckon at the time the leading Sandover medalist go down with a knee injury. And I think everyone knew his history as well, so it kind of looked a bit um, severe. I think we got him early on in the season against Wacker, so we've got com- we're confident that our, our football holds up. It's just. It's, a real, it's going to be a real battle of who can hold that and maintain it for longer in the game, which is going to be exciting. Nice to chat, mate. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Take care.
Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Jonathan Marsh from the East from Adel Sharks joining us here on Sports Day. So semi-finals are set on Saturday. West Perth take on East from Adel at Pentanet Stadium up there in Joondalup. That gets underway at ten past two. And in the other game on the weekend, South Fremantle dominant early, just couldn't kick the goals that they needed to give themselves a bit of a break on Peel Thunder, who eventually got the job done, skate by nine points. Yes, uh, kicking themselves out of the finals, South Fremantle. So uh, will it be the end of an era? They've made three grand finals in a row prior to this season. Uh, I'll tell you what, they do rue and they will rue that loss to West Coast during the year, which effectively cost them the double chance. So it's such a tight season, unable to kick straight, no excuses. Yeah. And, and there's this undercurrent of on, on social media of, of people talking about the Peel, you know, having 12 listed or 13 listed players from AFL ranks on their list. Guess what? They had throughout the season Pretty much that, and they were beaten regularly. They finished fifth by winning the last game of the home and away season. So they're beatable, Peel, but there's some people who follow the traditional clubs that are very worried that they're going to get through to a grand final in a few weeks from now. Yeah, well, uh, beatable. They should have been beaten on the weekend from what uh, I was seeing you broadcast on the weekend. Uh, Claremont, that means play Peel Thunder at Revo Fitness Stadium, 10 past three. That game is on Sunday. That's our WRFL update for the all-new Kia Nero, available as a hybrid and all electric. You can see more at kia.com.au. We need to clear a commitment on the other side. Brett Phillips to wrap up the US Open next. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot, gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Welcome back to Sports Day. Great to have your company. Thanks to Repco Authorised Service for expert car service. You book online at repcoservice.com. And a bloke who has been very, very busy indeed. And it's great to see... A couple of Australians getting to the pointy end of the US Tennis Open. Brett Phillips, the tennis anchor for Wide World of Sports and the first serve host joining us here on Sports Day. Welcome, Brett. How are you going, mate? Uh, big two weeks, to be fair to say, <laughs> Carl. But uh, look, an incredible two weeks. I'd, I'd have to uh, probably say it's uh, the, the best US Open that I've witnessed, particularly on the men's side, where the, the level of tennis was um, yeah, ab- absolutely breathtaking and here, we, here we've got the next uh, generation who have uh, well and truly arrived. And uh, it's a real change of the guard. I mean, to have a 19-year-old as uh, the world number one, and it won't be a flash in the pan. I mean, this man is, uh, this young man's here to stay for, well, probably the next 15, 20 years. That's how good he is and how good he is um, still to come. Carlos Alcaraz. Now, you're saying there's a changing of the guard, which I, I think is almost universal, but... Novak Djokovic, when he resumes his Grand Slam adventures, uh, surely he'll have a say in just handing over the baton just yet. Yeah, no, it's a good point, Mark. I think there's still, you know, there's still some very good tennis left in Djokovic, and you know he's been denied, obviously, playing two of the slams this year. So who knows what that conversation looks like if he had played all four majors? And there's obviously still a lot for him to achieve in the sport. So fingers crossed, we can get back to. Normality next year, and that uh, you know one of the greatest in the sport can actually just play um, wherever he is uh, around the world. So yes, I, I think there's another um, part of the Djokovic career still to come, and he'll he'll love the fact that these guys have really risen. It'll inspire him as well. I think you know to have these sort of uh, cross generational battles and. Uh, jockeying for position is is brilliant for the sport. We've seen it going back many years of uh, tennis. Uh, you know, Rafa. We don't know 
you know, turning 37 next year, another year older. But every time we ride off uh, Nadal and think he's probably just about cooked, uh, there's another chapter. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of guys who might just think, gee, is my opportunity still there? Is the window closing? Because, you know, Zverev and uh, Pass, uh, Berrettini's, a few of them have been around for a little while now. And the clock is ticking. Uh, and there's more young talent coming through. But Carlos Alcaraz has gone past all of them. I mean, it's just, it's just a phenomenal uh, tennis story, uh, led by a former world number one in Carlos, Juan Carlos Ferrero, who's guided him uh, technically as a tennis player and worked on all facets of the game. And it's, the scary thing that Juan Carlos Ferrero said in the media conference today, and we should hear more from the tennis coaches, is that uh, he believes he's only um, maxed about 60% at the moment. So <laughs> I'll tell you what, if he's only got at 60%, who knows uh, what he's going to achieve from here because his level of play is uh, simply phenomenal. What did you make of the implosion by Nick Kyrgios? He goes to the net and he shakes his opponent's hand and then he goes back to his bag and he smashes a couple of tennis rackets. Mate, does he really need to do this stuff? Yeah. Well, I, I hate it when, uh, and I saw it at Indian Wells this year when Nadal beat him and, um, you know, Nadal's going out and celebrating with the crowd and he, he flung the racket, which nearly uh, nearly hit the uh, the innocent uh, ball kid with the hands behind uh, his back at the end of the court. And, yeah, I mean, that's when you shake uh, the player's hand, you shake the umpire's hand and you let that player, the winning player, have their moment. Uh, it doesn't, be, It shouldn't be becoming about you. So that's the part that... Yeah, look, people obviously focus on, and um, and, and it, it is ordinary. There's no doubt about that. It was pathetic. Uh, but, I mean, look, he has, you know, you know I've wrestled with Nick Kyrgios for a while, but he has come a long way, uh, no doubt. I mean, certainly his level of tennis uh, and the way he's digging in and there's, uh, there's more application there to the task, no doubt. Uh, there's no waving of the white flag, so he's zeroing in on that. And he'll continue to be an enigma for as long as we cover him. And who knows where he sort of goes from here. I mean, he'll have a well-earned rest. Um, he'll always have you know facets of himself that are always going to be there. But I think there's been some steps, uh, subtle steps uh, this year on and off the court. Uh, but, yeah, look, uh, who knows if he still has a window. I mean, he hopefully, hopefully what he's done this year inspires him to say, well, gee, I, I should win one of these. But... Once again, it's 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 hard work because there's a group of about twelve or fifteen now in men's tennis. They're all pushing each other, and it can come down to just a shot here or there, margins, four or five sets, little moments. Uh, Nick's got the talent, pound for pound, but he's still got a bit of work to get there above the shoulders. Have you seen the? Well, I'm sure you have, uh, but uh, I, I saw Mark Filipusa spending some time in his box. Do you reckon he's doing any work with him, or is that just a coincidence? Well, he was doing a bit of work, Philippoussis, with Sitsipas the last few weeks. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether that uh, will come to any um, sort of fruition. I mean, Nick's obviously, as we know, been reluctant to bring anyone in. He's got his, you know, good mate, Jacker. I'm not sure of his exact name. He's got his uh, physio. He's got uh, his uh, partner there. And that's that's the pretty small team that Nick has. And, yeah, I, I still, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily... Um, buy into the fact that he's going to get better if he had a coach. Because I think he's actually got the IQ that he can win and look where he's got to just on his own. Um, but it might be just continually working at, obviously, you know, just the mind and the mindset. I mean, we look at, you know, Iga Sviantec. She, you know, she has a full-time psychologist travelling and just working on Iga's mind. Nothing to do with the game technically and game plans and everything like that. So, 
Yeah, I mean, Nick's always done it his way, and if it bears fruition, we see him mature and win a slam, then, you know, he's had the right to go down that path. But, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be a tough gig, to be honest, trying to uh, coach him. <laughs> Very tough gig. You mentioned Eager and the women's title, one in straight sets, and uh, she's 55-7 and seven with seven titles yeah. in 2022. That is an extraordinarily good record. Mark, she has set herself apart uh, now, uh, and there was doubts. It's funny because we were talking, you know, uh, the, the week leading into the US Open that, you know, she's not quite cherry ripe, not quite blitzing it like she did early in the year when she won 37 straight. She was, you know, a little hit and miss. There was one match there where she was, what, a set and 4-2 down that could have gone pear-shaped, but the rest of the tournament, uh, she was in control. And, I mean, she's 5,000 points clear now in the WTA rankings. So she's clearly taken that mantle from uh, Barty. She's made what a semi-final of the Australian Open, won two majors. And if she can conquer grass, which is the surface that she's got to get her head around, then she's set to become a real dominant force. Because I look at that pack underneath her and I'm going cross, cross, no, can't win, can't win a slam for very, all various different reasons. So she can really capitalise now. But in saying that, women's tennis, we've seen all the fluctuations and she, she is the hunter. They want to take her scalp. But, um, gee, she, uh, the way she pulls through, she's a, you know, lost his four goals down, if I can use a footy analogy, at three-quarter time, and she comes home kicking eight in the last quarter. That's, you know, she comes home with a roar that you can't stop. It's a, a tsunami. We did have a couple of Aussies reigning supreme and creating a bit of history too, mate. Been 21 years since we've been able to win a mixed doubles title. Mm. Storm Sanders and John Pierce got it done. Yeah, well done. Uh, well done to Stormy. Uh, you know, she could have almost made a, a women's doubles final as well. Just fell short there, but... Yeah, her and John, they've been trying to get together for about a year. Uh, they've had various different partners, and it just hasn't quite worked out logistically, or they've committed to another partnership at the time. But they were really keen to try and have a crack at the US Open. Uh, they're managed by um, the same management group, Sam Maxwell, over in your part of the world there in Perth. And uh, it's yeah, the righty-lefty combination. They got through a few sticky um, periods in some of their matches, but they, they pulled through. And, yeah, first since uh, Todd Woodbridge and Renee Stubbs saluted uh, well, the day before 9-11, back in uh, 2001. So, yeah, on the doubles court this year, we've certainly had a, a lot of success, and hopefully that can uh, filter through to the singles court next year. Brilliant, Brett. Thank you very much for joining us tonight here on Sports Day. Take care. Always. Uh, thanks, Carl. Thanks, Mark. Good on you. Brett Phillips uh, here with all of the latest uh, tennis news out of what has been a very busy couple of weeks. Uh, we'll clear a commitment on the other side. Uh, Brett Sanderason is going to join us. He is a cricket writer for Crick Buzz. We finally saw the back of Aaron Finch for some they saying about time. We'll have a chat about his wonderful career next here on Sports Day. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot, gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Welcome back to Sports Day. Great to have your company and fantastic to have this man on the radio. We must be getting back into cricket because Barat Sander Racing, a bloke we haven't spoken to for a little while, cricket writer at Crick Buzz. I think it uh, was overseas when we had a chat to him last. Barat, welcome to Sports Day. How you going, mate? I'm doing very well, guys. And, uh, you know, I do feel uh, quite upset that uh, uh, nobody calls upon me for my footy expertise. Uh, I'm not saying... Uh, it's generally like when I do go watch uh, some footy at the Adelaide Oval, uh, I get very happy when uh, some eight-year-old sitting next to me agrees with whatever I say. That's pretty much where it is. But you know, I think I think I watched enough of it to 
uh, have a say. Uh, at least I, uh, you know, I do even tweet stuff out. The other day I tweeted something out about how Chris Fagan is very huggable, but that is, that's about it. I guess maybe that's why nobody calls him on. Okay. So who's winning the flag then, Brad? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if it's a popular opinion, but I think Geelong have grown on me the last last couple of years. Uh, there's something, uh, they're almost like the New Zealand of the AFL. There's nothing to dislike about them. Uh, but also, at the same time, I know Collingwood, if you don't support Collingwood, you hate them. But that kind of makes them the anti-hero in my book. So for, for someone who's very neutral, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a Geelong Collingwood final. So it's like the good guys versus the, I guess, the bad guys. All right, we're going to just pull you back in the line that we are accustomed to with you, and that's cricket. And, of course, <laughs> a 3-0 series win to Australia. That's a bit of a, a subplot, really, because the story out of that series is the departure of Aaron Finch from ODIs. Oh, yeah, very much so. And um, I think it, it's, it's sad that uh, it, it had to end at a time when he's he's been so woefully out of form in 50-over cricket, uh, and even his last innings, uh, you know, getting bowled the way he has been uh, quite often since, what, 2019. Uh, it was sad to see him go, but I, I, look, I think I've always uh, enjoyed watching and covering Aaron Finch, uh, the one-day cricketer and the, and the captain. Uh, there was something very earthy and uh, humble about him, uh, the way he played his cricket, the way he spoke about his team's performances, good or bad, uh, there was a lot to like about him. And I think he played a big role in uh, helping Australia rebuild, uh, you know, their face. I mean, their their culture after, the, you know, the Cape Town fiasco. Uh, Tim Payne and Justin Langer generally get a lot of credit for that. But I think Aaron Pitch played a big role. And, uh, and look, I think this also frees him up nicely for that T20 World Cup defence in less than a month's time. Uh, you could see that... Maybe it was beginning to play on his head as one-day form, but he's not been too bad in the T20 format. Until uh, the very end, even in yesterday's game, you could see uh, how shrewd a captain he was, his field placements, and just the way he uses his bowlers. So Aaron Finch will definitely be missed, uh, you know, as captain. But uh, you know, with that next 50-over World Cup less than 12 months ago, just just over 12 months ago, it's a good time for Australia to start planning for it. So just you're talking about he now plans for the T20 World Cup, but he's if you're out of form. You're out of form, Barat. So what's to make you think that he's suddenly going to tear them apart in the World Cup? No, I think the only difference here is, uh, uh, you know, perspective uh, or like, you know, how you put innings in the context between one-day cricket and T20 cricket. So if Aaron Finch comes out and play, uh, you know, goes for it from, from, day, uh, from ball one, like he has been in T20 cricket of late, uh, and it comes off even if he makes a 26 out of 10 uh, it's still a win. I mean, he's given Australia a great start or a great platform to build on. And I also have believed that T20 cricket is one where you can carry a captain if he does or he or she does bring in a lot of expertise on the field. Uh, we saw we saw that with Owen Morgan for a long time with England. Uh, Owen Morgan in uh, the IPL, I remember a couple of years ago when KKR made it to the final where he didn't get a single run. And Darren Sammy famously won a World Cup for the West Indies facing two balls and not taking a single wicket in that whole tournament. Uh, so he took one catch. That was his contribution individually. So I think it's a format you can get away with. Um, and hopefully, you know, just being uh, or just being able to focus on hit, see ball, hit ball could come in handy for Finch. Mentioning leadership, Steve Smith's name obviously comes to the surface. But David Warner has also been brought up in conversation. Can you give us the the merits of both of those players in terms of 
potentially replacing Aaron Finch? Uh, to start with, I think Australia's, uh, the selectors' uh, focus will be on that uh, World Cup next year. Uh, so it's not a long-term, or it's not long-term planning that you need to worry about. Uh, so you need someone who will take Australia through to that World Cup in 12 months. And there is a lot of one-day cricket that will be played between now and then. Um, and uh, David Warner, yeah, I mean, you know, we know all about what Cricket Australia uh, think about him being given a leadership title. They say all the right things. They say, no, he provides so much uh, to the leadership group without having a title to his name. Uh, but who knows uh, Indian conditions better than David Warner in Australia? Nobody else. So I think he... Uh, has proven himself uh, in T20 cricket as a captain uh, in the IPL. He won an IPL uh, as well uh, a few years ago. So I think this everything going for David Warner, if Australia do take that radical move that some would think of going to him as captain. Uh, Steve Smith came out yesterday and spoke about how, uh, you know, maybe uh, he could be the next one to retire from this format. I'm sure he was semi-joking about it. Uh, but I don't think it would be... Uh, you know, Australia uh, really looking back and like maybe it's time to move forward if they go to either one of those. Keeping in mind that the World Cup is just, you know, 12 months away. Uh, once we get to India next year, you can always start planning for 2027 after that. So either option works, especially with Pat Cummins having said that he's not very keen on doing it. Now, what do you make of uh, England being on the verge of knocking over the Proteus? I think uh, South Africa will be so disappointed with the way they played ever since they won that first test. Uh, uh, you know, again, Ben Stokes proving even last night how he brings that uh, inspirational leadership to the fore whenever England need him uh, need him most. And it, it, this series itself, this whole English test summer has been played on fast forward, you know, bass ball or whatever you want to call it. Uh, with, both, both, with both bat and ball, uh, things have happened very quickly. There was some talk that uh, with South Africa deciding to not spend an extra day uh, because of uh, losing, uh, what, the first two days uh, the, in, as England mourned the loss of their queen or death of their queen. Uh, you, you thought, like, you know, maybe uh, there will not be enough time for a result. But, yeah, I think England will win with plenty of time to spare. Uh, it's been a fun summer. Uh, I don't know whether England can pull off uh, this approach once they travel overseas. But it just makes that... Uh, the Ashes, very, very exciting. Uh, we're less than 12 months away from it. Uh, June 16th, I read recently, is when the first test will be played. So it'll be played in the early months. So it could be, it could already make for some exciting cricket when we get there next year. Fantastic to chat to you, Bharat. And uh, we hope to uh, touch base regularly throughout the summer, mate. Take care. Uh, cheers, guys. I look forward to it. Bharat Sandarason there does a good job with Crick Bars. You can see his work there. And we're here thanks to the Toolkit Depot. Spring it on with top deals on everything you need for your outdoor projects at the Toolkit Depot. Ryan Petrick, the Rockingham Flames men's coach and Perth Lynx coach, will join us next here on Sports Day. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, Available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot. Gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot.
Welcome back to Sports Day, and it is fantastic to have Ryan Petrick on your radio, Rockingham Flames men's team coach, and of course our Perth Lynx coach, and their pre-season about to get underway, but let's uh, firstly turn our attention to the Rockingham Flames, their win in NBL 1 with an 85-74 win over Frankston. Ryan, congratulations, mate, how are you feeling? Yeah, Cole, Mark, good. Um, yeah, it's been a, uh, a whirlwind two weeks, to say the least. Um, and I'm sure we'll catch up on some sleep at some time this week. Yeah. Well, tell, talk us through what was uh, a really good performance uh, by your team, and you must be really proud. Oh, huge. Um, I think three games in three days. I know all the teams had to do it, but obviously we're missing the best player in the league in Devondrick Walker. Um, Greg Hire, obviously, is a household name in WA. Those two boys went on the trip. Um, and then Tommy Jervis, his Achilles almost went in the first game, and Marty Nelson was playing with a broken wrist. So to do that in those circumstances, um, just could not have asked any more if I tried. Absolutely. And Ryan Godfrey, 23 points, five rebounds, three assists, and he ends up with the MVP award. Uh, that's a, a fair uh, resume when it comes to his contribution. Oh, just phenomenal. And like when we badly needed it, um, Martin Nelson badly in foul trouble in the first half. And as we said, like no, uh, no Devondrick Walker. Like it was kind of over to Ryan Godfrey, like, mate, you need to save us here. In that first half, he just carried us along as long as he possibly could. Um, kept us in the game, and from there, we were able to take over in the second half. Now, I believe Greg Hire missed because of work commitments. Is that right? I mean, is, is that what it's like at, at this level? Because, uh, you know, the, the players aren't earning the types of money that you get in professional sport. Yeah, well, it's a, in fairness, this year's a bit of a weird one. It's the first year they've had the national tournament. So we've obviously been going hell for leather, so to speak, trying to win the state league. And we finally got that done last weekend. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you've got to be on a plane on Friday to go to Melbourne to keep going. And it's the first year it's happened. So guys trying to get out of work and all that kind of stuff, it just kind of clashed with your schedule. So unfortunately, wasn't able to make it. Ryan, what's funding like at this level? Uh, well, it's semi-pro. So I guess it's kind of it would be a level down you would have thought from the waffle in terms of the footy. Um, so we've got one player in Devondrick Walker is full-time. Um, is obviously very important. Now plays with Brisbane Bullets, and then everyone else is kind of semi-pro or just an amateur. So yeah, um, did all over the place. And the standard we talked about the, the funding from Carl's question, but what about the standard at this level? Uh, competitive throughout. Yeah, well, especially like, and that was the weird part about this national level. We all play by different rules in the different states. So my understanding is the other states all have no salary cap. And they're allowed to have three imports, uh, whereas in WA, we're only allowed to have two imports and we have a salary cap. Um, so for both WA teams to go over there, um, from memory, Warwick in the women's only had one import. And obviously us missing Devondrick, we had no imports. And to still go over there with those rules against us and fly to Victoria and win the thing, um, really big for the state. Absolutely. Magnificent job, mate. Now, what about uh, the overlap here with, say, the men's competition and what you've got ahead of you when it comes to the women's game? We know that uh, you'll be on court uh, 12 November against the UC Capitals, just having a look at the fixtures that are ahead of you. But um, I suppose now your focus turns straight to that, does it? Yeah, literally first thing this morning on the phone to the GM of the Lynx, trying to get that team finalised and ready to go. Um, we just kind of had that bubbling along in the background. Um, again, we don't start for another nine days, whatever it is. Um, so just kind of keeping that, um, getting it ready to go, so to speak. Um, but the season's there. There's a nice little nine-day break. Um, we get to use some of the things we run in the men's. The two, the two programs are somewhat similar, although obviously one of them is fully professional. So 
uh, really looking forward to getting back into that. It sounds like you've got the bug when it comes to coaching because uh, nine days, I know there's a bit of a breather, but how do you, is it, is it a juggling in the sense of just reloading your energy levels even? Uh, yeah, I, I said this last night to someone else. Like, we were pretty lucky that COVID break where everyone kind of got locked out of everything for 74 days or whatever it was. That was a really nice freshen up just because, again, going year-round program, I've been bouncing from Lynx to Rockingham year in, year out, I think for eight years now. So that's 74 days of not being able to work and being basically able to play golf and nothing else for 74 days. That was kind of a blessing. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll hold on for as long as we can. Uh, let's look at this roster that you got for the Lynx, and can you talk us through some of the imports that are coming to WA? Yes, we've just got the one at this stage, this season. Uh, It's a different year. Europe's gone pretty aggressive in the spending. So, obviously, we would love to have brought Marina and Jackie back, but Europe just went crazy, trying to buy everyone. So, uh, we've just got the one this year, and Robbie Ryan, she played for June Lup in the State League, and she was really, really good. So, we're pretty excited to see what she can do. Uh, And then bringing home two Australian girls from college in Amy Atwell, who's a girl that played in WA out of Wilson, uh, and then Chloe Bibby, who's a Victorian um, both of them have really bright futures. Both of them are on the Australian Opals radar. Um, and we're really looking forward to seeing what they can do in their first year in the league. What about building on last year? And you did so much right. Uh, you had crowds coming to your games and a lot of excitement around your team. How do you back it up with another really competitive, hopefully title-winning performance? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, um, slightly different roster to last season. So don't want to totally restart. Um, but obviously you naturally have to do a little bit of roster um, personnel changes. Um, so trying to build on that, obviously tweaking some things here and there for the new players that we have. But certainly um, like the crowd really got into it. We just haven't had home games for two years. I think we've played five games in total, six games in total in two years. So finally going back to a home and away schedule where we're not stuck in Melbourne or Queensland for 55, 60 days at a time. I guess that's going to be the biggest bonus for us this year. What about looking at uh, the other teams? Uh, who is shaping as uh, the ones to beat? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, so certainly Melbourne are the defending champs. So it's pretty hard to go past the defending champs always. But, I mean, Townsville looks solid. Sydney looks solid. Canberra always tight. You just go through all of them. The way the league works where there's um, it's a minimum spend in terms of every club has to get to. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but every club has to spend at least X amount and can't go over X amount. So everyone's kind of in the same ballpark, which makes it a really even and really competitive league. So, I mean, trying to guess two or three months out, you would guess Melbourne would probably start the season favourites, clearly taking ourselves out of it. Um, but it really is a eight-horse race, so to speak. Now, just having another look at the fixtures, I think you take on the Melbourne Boomers first, don't you? November 2 is when your season gets underway. Just uh, having a look again now? Yeah, I believe so. I think they're trying to, especially from what I remember reading, um, I know our season schedule was heavy with home games early on, just because we haven't had home games forever. So the league's try to reward us a little bit and look after us a little bit after the last two years we've had. So I know we've got a, a home schedule heavy early on. Uh, and obviously we'll have to hit the road later in the year. Beautiful, mate. Thank you for sharing a few minutes with us tonight and congratulations again for the performance over the weekend. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Good on you, Ryan Petrick. Uh, Rockingham men's team, victorious. Well done, the Flames. Absolutely. Knocking over uh, Frankston. Interesting listening to the coach there. And not that you forget, but 
the two years of, of COVID, and particularly WA teams, were affected as much as anyone with regards to uh, not playing matches at home and all the restrictions. So a bit of normality hopefully back for, for Ryan and, and the Lynx, who did such a great job last season. But they look like, uh, just listening to his voice, maybe... Uh, the numbers and, and the quality in the squad, not quite there just yet. Just uh, in some other sport, Perth Glory women's team, uh, they have had an American power forward, she's described, as Gabriella Coleman, a 24-year-old. Uh, our Aussie women getting the job done at the Rugby World Cup over there in South Africa on the weekend. They beat New Zealand in the final 20. 20- Four to twenty-two is the final score. Then the Aussies uh, men—they played off for bronze. They ended up uh, in fourth position. And Bobby Peters to bring all of his, or not all of his horses, but um, a few of his well-credentialed horses home. Uh, Western Empire. There's uh, Regal Power and Stage Man also coming home. So uh, we'll see what transpires there as we take a commitment, come back, and wrap up with Kia Top Seven next. Sports Day, the all-new Kia Nero, available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. And Toolkit Depot, gear up for outdoor action at Toolkit Depot. Yes, and they bring us uh, Kia's Top 7, the Kia Nero, available, as you just heard, as a hybrid or a full electric model. And Mark Reddings, it's over to you. Yeah, the Kia Top 7 have to look at the finals from the weekend. Friday night, MCG in Brisbane. Weren't they terrific? Uh, Daniel Rich, I thought, uh, down back, did a really good job. 30 disposals. I've got him at number 7. When he plays, Brisbane look a far better outfit. He just uses the ball so well. And uh, he might not have been the best player for the night, but he was outstanding in the back half. Eric Hipwood at number 6. I thought it was close to his best. Best game as a Brisbane Lion, four goals, 17 disposals. It was his best game by weight of number and score because only one other time had he kicked four goals this season, Skeet. So his last couple of weeks where his kick bags of three and four have been two of the best back-to-back weeks he's had so far in the season. I've got it number five, maybe controversially so, but Jared Berry, who was outstanding with his performance in the second half, he got the footy, he shut down uh, Oliver, who just destroyed Brisbane in previous encounters. Of course, there's a big question mark over his involvement in a preliminary final, though. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, he has been offered one week at the moment for intentional conduct uh, to the face or contact to the face. But uh, four disposals he'd had at half time. Mm. He ended up with 26, 22 in the second half, and he got the coaches' votes when it comes to the medal that's going to be handed out at the end of the final series. Yeah, the uh, performance by him was, uh, I think, instrumental in that victory. Uh, he's at number five. At number four, I'm going with Jack Ginnivan. On Saturday night, three goals. Isn't he someone who gets under your skin? But I'll tell you what, he hits the scoreboard. He knows how to kick a goal when you need him. Three goals, and he has uh, that uh, innate ability just to be able to attract attention to himself. I don't know what it is about him, but he's just able to do that. Reminds me of you, but in a slightly different manner, if you know what I mean. There's that antagonistic, under-your-skin type play. But if you're a fan of Collingwood, you're loving him. He's playing great footy. Uh, I've got... At number three, Caleb Sarong, 34 disposals. I thought he tried his hard at He's had a very good season. I mean, Andy Brasher was just as good, really, through the midfield. But I've uh, got him at three. At number two, I've got Jordan Degoe, who picked up maximum coaches' votes. He was outstanding. He was 24 disposals, a goal, 12 score involvements. He was... Had to be close to best on. Well, he was best on, in my opinion. I'm just really interested now with your care top seven as to who has come out on top with number one because oh. I thought he would have got it. But no, anyway. no, no. So, Carl, sometimes you have to go for the romance, the sentimentality of footy, and that's where David Mundy comes in at number one, his final match, albeit he wasn't the best on. He kicked a goal in the last quarter. But for me, number one, he deserves to go out with a Kia top seven, number one ranking, an outstanding career uh, with his family at the MCG. Uh, 
carried off. Uh, great respect shown by Collingwood as well. So David Mundy, Kia, top seven, number one. And what about the moment at the end of the game too uh, with his uh, with his young bloke as well where uh, his young bloke was shedding a tear and dad had to console him, get down on his level, just to have a little uh, father-son conversation. Yeah, it was a beautiful moment, wasn't it? And that's what happens nowadays in footy. And uh, I'm sure uh, Sally and the family will have a bit of a break from the game. And who knows, David Mundy might find himself either in footy whether it's the media or in coaching circles. That is the Kia Top 7 for the all-new Kia Nero, available in hybrid or all-electric. See more at kia.com.au. Let's get into On This Day, thanks to Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Yes, 1970, Margaret Court completed the Tennis Grand Slam in women's singles titles. What a superstar she was. Going to 1987, Paul Lynch from England completed 32,573 push-ups. That is the push-up king, Paul Lynch, going back to 1987. In 1998, Paddy Rafter won his second consecutive US Open. By the way, he became the first Australian to win back-to-back titles since Neil Fraser in 59-60. And born on this day in 1942, which makes him 80 today. So happy birthday to David Parkin, who was born in Melbourne. An Aussie rules player, of course, former Hawthorne, 1961-74, premiership coach also, and coached the Victorian clubs Carlton and Fitzroy. Thanks to Barra and O'Day on this day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Now, after the 8 o'clock news that's fast approaching, it'll be Todd Johnston with the night shift. He'll take you right through until midnight. And Skeet and I'll be back tomorrow from 6 o'clock. We'll see you then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.